0: Hello everybody, Dr. Lonnie Stewart here from the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. Are you a physical therapy student about to start studying for the National Physical Therapy Examination? Or maybe you're a professor, a program director, or a clinical instructor who teaches DPT students preparing for the NPTE? Either way, we would recommend checking out our sponsor, NPTE Final Frontier, and the community they've built around preparing for and succeeding on the NPTE. That exam and the preparation that goes along with it can be long, tedious, difficult, and stress-inducing, but it doesn't have to be. NPTE Final Frontier has the tactics and resources to help address all of the usual barriers. They even have scholarships to help with NPTE study courses, FSBPT registration fees, and even research opportunities. And if that's not enough, they're even donating to the very first annual HET Podcast Scholarship to be awarded at the end of every year. Go to NPTEFF.com for all of the details and use code HET for 10% off all purchases. Links to both the NPTE Final Frontier and their scholarship options are available in the show notes. And now, let's get ready to learn.
1: Well, welcome everybody to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field, and I've got with me today somebody who I admire deeply, We could go on and on about the accolades, but that would be a whole show. So I I think we'll just stick to the meat and potatoes of today's episode, which is all about becoming a CEO. Um, Something that I think a lot of uh, healthcare providers kind of need to to know uh, is a possibility. Um, And so with us today, we have Beth Sarfati. All right, Beth. So tell us a little bit about your academic journey and how it's led you to where you're at today.
2: Yeah, thanks for asking. So. I went to Northeastern University up in Boston. Graduated in uh, 1990, so it was still a bachelor's degree back then. Truly, with no intention on ever doing anything other than treat patients, I went into this field 100% wanting to treat patients, spend time with patients. I often reflect back when when people earlier in my career would say, "Why did you go to medical school?" And my answer was was pretty. And I think it's pretty common to a lot of therapists. And I really wanted to spend time with patients and get to know them and not have, you know, one visit every month and one visit every six months. So, you know, absolutely loved where I went to school. The program at Northeastern was phenomenal. I would do it all over again. Left school, feeling like I was a pretty good clinician, feel, you know, felt strong in my knowledge and my competence and worked as primarily an outpatient orthopedic therapist. I did a small stint in acute care and I did home care for a bit. I worked in the school system uh, with handicapped kids for a while. But primarily, you know, my full-time job was always outpatient orthopedics. And then it got to the point really early on, to be honest. So by my fourth year, I guess, of working, I was maybe longer than that. I think it was actually five years like fifth year working, I was offered the opportunity to become a center manager of the one PT outpatient clinic. So literally the staff in this small outpatient clinic was me as the one PT. We had a tech at the time and a front office administrator. And that was my, my first leap into leadership, should you say, from a work perspective. And what's really interesting is that there is no question that I had to really figure out how to lead myself before others. I mean, I was literally the only professional, um, you know, licensed professional in the clinic. And and I, re- I remember this journey very well. It was more about me learning how I can manage my patients and run the clinic and manage my attitude and behaviors, to be honest with you, as a leader, not just as you know, uh, a fellow team member of, of other PTs and PTAs. That really was kind of my my start to my journey. Um, you know, from an academic perspective, you know, school was, I don't think it was anything out of the ordinary other than the fact I, I absolutely loved my program and would do it all over again.
1: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, you talked about uh, actions and attitudes and, you know, what do you think are some traits that maybe you see in good leaders, or those that uh, might eventually take the path of of following towards maybe a, a CEO or a high level exec position?
2: Great question. I'll piggyback onto what I just said. I, I really do believe that one of the most important attributes, if not potentially the most important attribute, is knowing yourself. Um, and the and the reason why I say that is because as a leader, whether you're in a formal leadership role like CEO or an informal leadership role, um, you know, maybe without a title, but just part of a very dynamic team that's always looking to progress and move forward or, you know, the lead, the lead on a committee. You really have to understand yourself, what your styles and your behaviors are and how you're perceived because you are on the whole time. You know, one of the things I I feel like people don't recognize in leadership is that you're being watched all the time. And so if you are not very much consciously aware of what your behaviors are, what your attitude is, how your words are being received, what the intent of your message is, what your body language is saying, you are most definitely going to be misunderstood and you will Lose the opportunity to build the team around you. Knowing yourself, knowing what your strengths and weaknesses and talents and non-talents are, knowing what your own button items are—you know what gets you riled up—because you're going to have to know that in advance so that you, you know, you're prepared to calm yourself down. Being very aware of what your non-verbals are so that you can see how you're how you're being perceived is probably the most important thing about being a leader in my mind
1: yeah, we kind of took a deep dive into that a little bit and and I kind of view it as like emotional intelligence, right? Eq and and uh, I, I took the lamp leadership course uh, recently, and Bess was was one of the teachers there for that. And we dove into emotional intelligence. And a lot of that is about self-awareness and then your awareness of your surroundings and and how it interacts with people. and and like you said, your actions, your demeanor and everything that you do and say, how that affects your surroundings and the people around you as well. So I think emotional intelligence is is something that's super important. And I feel like the good thing that I kind of took away from that course was like, you can work on it. You know, it, it doesn't have to be there naturally.
2: Yeah, so true. I mean, I, you know, I feel like if everybody really understood what emotional intelligence is and then gave yourself the opportunity to self-assess to self-assess and identify where you have opportunities for improvement, the world would be a much better place. Uh, I've talked to quite a few academic folks about how meaningful it would be to have courses laid in there about communication and emotional intelligence and managing conflict and, you know, all that, you know, I'm here quoting the soft skills of leadership because it's, it's really just such an incredibly, Important piece of what it, what we do every day, and um, it's easily misunderstood and misinterpreted, and just honestly mismanaged by people because we just don't we don't know what it means and how to use it best, um, and ha- and how to build those skills within ourselves.
1: Yeah, and you know one of the things I think is important to note here too is I- I'm a firm believer in establishing expertise and authority but also realizing that it's not always credentials that get you to expertise and authority, right? Life skills, life experience, like that goes a long way. And I mean, I, I'm from the the old school of PT where it was a master's program uh, at, at that point when I graduated. So I ended up going through the transitional doctorate and then the educational doctorate, right? But Really, I mean, I graduated with a bunch of people who were masters in physical therapy, and that's where they they stayed, and they've gone on to do amazing things. Again, they established their expertise and authority through repetitions and life skills and, and experiences. Um, and you kind of forged that same way. You forged that same path. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your journey to becoming CEO?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So first, let me just say that one of my all 10 favorite quotes by Maya Angelou is, um, promotions come from 99% attitude and 1% confidence. And I am a, a firm, firm, firm believer in that. So I often tell a story that my, my leadership journey started in fourth grade when I was, um, made captain of the safety patrol in my grade school. And at the time they only ever made captains sixth graders, but I got it in fourth grade. So somewhere along the line, the faculty felt that they saw something in me that, um, that was meaningful enough to be a leader. So I think that I do believe that people often, you know, have that attribute, you know, just kind of internally. They have it. It's a drive, to be honest with you. You know, you have people that are driven to be leaders and you have people that are very comfortable just not leading other people and just getting through, you know, what they need to do day to day. And we need both people. So it's fine. Um, But for me personally, I've always kind of been this natural born leader, really. I mean, you know, captain of the teams and sports teams that I was on. And, you know, I had a class position in, in, you know, school and in college and always looking to be on committees. And I'm still on a bunch of boards, even outside of, you know, work. So for me, for me, it really was just realizing again, you know, kind of formally at that fifth year mark of my career um, that this opportunity presented itself. And I said, yeah, I think I'm ready for it. And I, I did start off small. I mean, You know, I, again, center manager of a one PT outpatient clinic, and I was a one PT. And within uh, six months, I was uh, promoted to what was called a market manager. So I got, I was in charge of six clinics. And then within a year, I had nine clinics. And then within uh, two years, um, I became a regional director and had, I think it was 11 clinics uh, by my eighth year, I guess, out of school, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, you know, it was, yeah, by my eighth year, I was, uh, like a regional director and I stayed in that role for several years and, and then I'm trying to think backwards, um, with the clock here, with the time here. So then by like my 14th year of working, I was promoted up to a vice president position in the national company that I worked for, where I had a, a vice president of clinical operations role for a network of about 80 outpatient clinics. And yeah, I mean, that, you know, that kept me going for a while. And then from there, I will say, Scott, I'm somebody, and I hope it doesn't happen now because I I just got to this role and I absolutely love it. And I only have about 10 to 12 years left to work and I plan on staying here in this role. Um, But I I do, I get that seven year itch, to be honest with you. You know, I feel like every six or seven years, I kind of hit a stride where I'm just not being as challenged as I used to be. And I I love that. So I tend to look for more. But yeah, so I I was VP of outpatient for, you know, a network of about 85 clinics. And then I ended up with a national role in my national company. And I stayed at that VP level, but I helped to um, oversee 160 something clinics nationwide. And and took a different role where I went to the hospital division and helped to manage a uh, hundred hospitals. And and now I'm here as a CEO of, of one you know 60 bed rehab hospital, which I absolutely love. And um I'll I'll tell you that the the biggest difference that I see from well, a couple things. First, I'll share that every time later on in my career, every time as I started to feel bored per se. What I realized was I just needed something else outside of my job to kind of get the juices flowing. And so I've made it a mission of mine for the last 12 years to be more involved with different you know, community programs. So I've been on the State Board of Physical Therapy in New Jersey for 13 years and still doing that. And I've been on some other community boards and that really has given me what I've needed outside of work. So I I think one thing that leaders get to do because of the exposure they're offered in that role is identify other areas within their community to get involved with. And I think that that becomes really meaningful, both personally and as well as growing your role within your organization. So it's it's helpful.
1: Yeah, well, there there you have it, folks, the blueprint to getting to CEO. It's important to note a lot of things there. There's a lot to take away. Yeah, you started small, but you just kind of kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing and kind of elevating that ladder little by little. And all of a sudden you turn around and you're a CEO, you know, but I think you, you also bring up a good point too, where, you know, we hear a lot about burnout these days and it's like, oh, you know, it's too much. I'm just not happy where I'm at. I'm stuck, I'm stagnant, whatever. But that seven year itch, I think, can be helped and can be addressed by those external factors that, you know, you can get involved with. And yes, being a CEO and the position that you're in as a leader definitely offers you certain opportunities that are, you know, wonderful. And you, you start to have to choose between those opportunities. But I think realistically, if we look at like the big picture here, doing those things and choosing those things to do outside of work and in the community is also a good way to kind of a scratch that seven-year itch but b also avoid burnout because you're opting to do things that you find meaningful and important and do fulfill you outside of just work. So work is work. It's going to be there no matter what. Let's get to the other things too that fulfill us and 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 give us joy and and you know help us kind of like you said like you know you have that seven-year itch. Well, let's scratch it then. You know, let's find some things and and you're going to be given tons of opportunities as a leader. So I think it it becomes very important then to really make sure the things that you say yes to align with your North Star and, and you know, what's going to keep you moving forward in both work and in life, I think.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. Burnout is a real thing. And people get burnt out. You know, stay-at-home moms get burnt out too. Burnout is not just an occupational hazard. It's become this lifestyle hazard, depending on whether or not you give yourself the opportunity to venture outside of the box that you spend the majority of your time in. For a long time, so I have a a son with autism. So for a long time, the only books I read were books on leadership and autism. People would say to me, like, do you not have any other passion in reading? And my answer was always like, I don't have time. Like I have to keep I have to keep learning about how to be a better leader. I have to keep learning more about autism to be a a better mother to him. I realized probably about, I mean, I'm in my mid-50s now. And I realized probably about five or six years ago, like life is more than just about work and even just being hyper-focused all the time on this one person in my family. And I got to be honest, Scott, like once I said, you know what? When I go on vacation, I'm not bringing my computer anymore. I feel that I'm a strong enough leader that my team will be able to do what they need to do without me there. It's not about micromanaging and it's not about micromanaging my life at home either. Like, you know, my son's doing well in spite of me not reading a book about autism all the time and watching Outlander instead on TV and watching, you know, reading a, a book by, you know, Jody Picoult, not, you know, it doesn't have to be anything else. Sometimes those of us with these big aspirations about leadership go into it. And I was one of these people, for sure, that you go into this path thinking, well, I'm the only one that can do it this way. And, you know, I'm the one that's going to have to tell people how to do things. Again, it goes back to emotional intelligence and that whole, whole social management and relationship management piece that once you realize that if you're authentic enough as a leader, to surround yourself around the people on your team, both at work and at home, and give them the tools and resources they need to be successful so they don't need to be micromanaged, you are so much more effective. right? I remember well before, and and I didn't even know that being a CEO was going to be in my cards until about, at this point, I could tell you exactly, seven months ago when this position was presented to me. Eight months ago, before that, I was always like, my God, I couldn't imagine what it must be like to be a CEO. Like, how does one person manage all these different things that are going to come to them in the hospital? And so I start going through this interview process and I reached out to a couple of my colleagues or friends who are CEOs or in similar positions. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think I can do it. And they're like, oh, my God, of course you can. Like, you just need to connect with the people, learn what you need to learn, know who your, your, your strong go-to people are, and don't micromanage. Because there's no way one person can manage every single position in a hospital. And if that was the case, then there would be no other positions in the hospital, right? You wouldn't have your directors of this department to win. A. And it's so true. And it really just comes down to having confidence in yourself and having confidence in the people that you surround yourself with to do the job that they're expected to do. And just it's open lines of communication. It's, again, authentic leadership. It's 100% teamwork and collaboration. And giving yourself the opportunity to take a break and not, not micromanage, and I really think that's the key to to burnout. Like I'm a much happier person, and I don't know that I've ever been burned out. I got to be honest with you; I don't think I ever really felt burned out, but I can definitely feel the shift in my mental energy when I stop only reading leadership and autism books, because I'm like, you know what? I gotta have some confidence that what I've done at this point or up to this point has been good enough. And yeah, just so I I agree. I mean, I think by far the key to burnout is just giving yourself the opportunity to kind of break out from the day-to-day conundrums, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, let's, let's look at this then. Let's say you have, you know, some natural born leaders out there. They're in the field of healthcare, you know, maybe they're physical therapists in our case and they're considering maybe starting to forge that path toward higher positions, toward, you know, C-suite level exec positions. What are some tips or pointers or 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 advice you could give to somebody who may be looking toward heading toward that path now that it that's been made aware, you know, and it is a possibility for them. Like what what what's some advice that you would give to them? And now for a quick shout out to our newest sponsor, Varella Financial. If you're a physical therapist and you have student loan debt, you got to talk to these guys. What makes them unique is that they view financial planning like running hurdles on a track. And for PTs, the first hurdle many of us run into is student loan debt. Varela Financial will help you get over that hurdle. They not only take the time to explain to you which plans you individually qualify for and how those plans work, but they also take the time to show you what your individual case looks like mapped out within each option. So if you're looking for help on your student loan debt or any area of personal finances, we recommend working with them. I use Varela Financial personally, and they were able to help me lower my student loan repayment from about $1,800 a month down to about $135 per month simply by finding the right repayment plan that best fit me, my family, and our life goals. You can check them out at VarelaFinancial.com. Link is in the show notes if you need it for reference, and tell them the HET podcast crew sent you. And now back to the show.
2: Yeah, another really good question. So I think the first thing would be going back to what we started this conversation at. um, You know, I I really do think you need to have a good handle on your own capabilities and your emotional intelligence in regards to self-management. Relationship management is such a big piece of that. Those four quadrants with EI, you need to be well aware of what drives you what motivates you? Like, why are you interested in being a leader? Why are you interested in being a CEO? Is it because, you know, it's if it's all about the pay, it's not going to be worth it in the long run. I can almost guarantee it, right? If it's more about collaborating, absolutely. It's a position that's for you because that's almost 100% what this position's about. If it's about control, yeah, you can do it, but you're going to be sorely disappointed because it's going to be way too much work on your end and you're going to see little benefit. It really comes down to how much do you like being part of a team? How much do you like to learn? Because I will tell you that I'm probably learning way more at this job than any job I've had since I started as a physical therapist, no question about it. And how much do you like getting feedback from other people? Because you're going to get, as a leader, you're going to get feedback whether on a regular basis, whether it's Face to face, or just reading everybody else's body language when you pass them in the hallway. Right. I mean, people are going to, you're going to be able to tell really early on if you're somebody that people connect to or they don't. And you're going to have to pivot. If you want to stay in the role and stay successful, you're going to have to learn how to deal with a lot of different behavior styles and personality styles. And you're going to have to learn how to pivot. It's not up to your team getting along with you, it's about you getting along with your team. So I, I think that's a big piece of it. I think that, look, I'm a, I'm a PT. When people ask me what I do, I say, I'm a physical therapist. I always start off with that. And at one of the, one of the, uh, one of the educational uh, sessions at CSM, I actually stood up and asked a question and I made the comment. I said, I'm a C-suite executive that identifies as a a physical therapist. And and that's exactly, I mean, that really kind of, that summarizes who I am. I mean, my role right now is my role, but my gosh, I'm a PT through and through. You know, I'm a fan of PTs and I think all of us PTs and PTAs could be, could be senior level executives. There's no question about it.
1: Yeah. I love that. And, and again, that's, that's why I was so excited to talk to you today, because I think so many times I see it now in a lot of my students that I teach, they're so focused and tunnel visioned in on the nine to five and the, I have to study this for this test and then this test. And then I graduate and I get a license. Then I go to work and I clock in and I clock out sometimes they, they can't see the forest from the trees, right? Like if you look at a 30,000 foot view, our educational background and, and where you know we've come and all the things we've learned along the way really open us up to a lot of opportunities, right? Even, even if we just consider ourselves even just musculoskeletal experts, that yeah. allows you to do a lot, right? Right there.
2: Oh, uh, no question. I mean, just the way we have to evaluate patients um, identify you know what the plan is and the goals and you know the the dysfunctions or just dis- deficiencies, and then being able to document it accordingly and then manage multiple people at one time, and then add to that mix that you're managing your teammates you know and unless really you're in own care and have no other contact you're you're managing colleagues in addition to patient load at the same time and. I mean it really makes us natural war leaders when you think about you know we're not not mechanics dealing with inanimate in the objects I mean we're dealing with literally moving parts all the time it, it's it's a fascinating field to me that just links natural yeah. leadership
1: right well and I think one of the pieces too that you kind of alluded to there was adaptability right I feel like physical therapists are so good at adapting Because we adapt equipment, we adapt, you know, exercises, we adapt plans of care. We're constantly problem solving and trying to figure out adaptations to our our career and to our, you know, patients. And it just makes sense. It's a natural fit that we're very good at adapting. And that adaptability helps at every step of the way as you kind of climb that leadership ladder. So absolutely. Well, Beth, what would you say are some of your favorite or some good resources in general if people are really wanting to get into leadership and become a more, more you know, effective leader or just dive into leadership for the first time? What are some resources that you would recommend?
2: Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner, right? So I'm somebody that I'm, I'm always, you know, reading, like I said, I'm reading lots of different kinds of leadership books and um, not just healthcare related by any means. I am a fan of workshops. I do, you know, love like, you know, APTA's LAMP program. I've been on faculty for a long time after going through it. And one of the reasons why I like that is because it isn't just reading a book on my own or doing a, a virtual course. It's, it's a lot of the interaction piece and, and the self-discovery and, and conversations back and forth. I think that when, when people ask the question, I'm a fan of just telling people, just immerse yourself in different things. Get involved with different types of activities and programs and workshops, not just medical related, right? So get out of the PT world to learn some leadership. Um, You know, I I ended up getting my MBA about 15 years ago. And, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to do an MHA or an MBA. And I decided the MBA because I was like, I had a really good base on healthcare. And I just wanted to be able to learn about leadership and management from outside of the healthcare perspective to see what I can get from it. And for me, I think it was a good decision. I even tell young, you know, some students or young professionals today that a really good way to learn about leadership is just to get involved with community activities. You know, be a coach, just get on get on a town council, you know, on a committee of some sort, um, even if it's a fundraising committee for an organization, because leadership really and, and I know I've said this before, and I know will sound like a broken record, but it really is about learning enough about your own behaviors and attitudes when you are around people different than you and how to make it all work and pull it all together.
1: Yeah, you kind of uh, stole one of my, my lines there. But when people ask, you know, well, what book should I read? And then it's like, well, honestly, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it depends on what you're trying to learn and what you're trying to figure out. So an, you need context for that, right? You can't just give you a good book to read. So that being said, I think really when you look at leadership as a whole, in my mind, the word that that really comes to the forefront is implementation. Just do something, do anything, get involved, try things out, fail, learn, just do, just implement, find something you think that might work, try it. If it does, great, keep going with it. Try another thing. If it doesn't work, pivot, adapt, whatever you got to do. But really just get involved. Like you said, immerse yourself and implement.
2: I think I think that's such a big piece. In fact, I'll tell you that uh, we have uh, senior leadership meetings here every Tuesday afternoon for 90 minutes and they go by in five minutes. And I feel like, oh my God, how are we going to have enough stuff to talk about for 90 minutes every week? And we always do. And one of my uh, teammates after the meeting today actually came up and I've only been here two and a half months. And she came up and she said, we are getting so much done. And so, just and I, you know, I wasn't planning on sharing that, but just based on what you said about implementation, it really is about getting stuff done. Right. So, I, I heard a quote last week. I can't remember who it was from, but the quote was leaders are people that get the things done that weren't done before. And my God, that was uh, just it really struck home because what's the difference? between, and, I, and I'm not a fan of the word follower. So please don't misunderstand that. But the difference between leaders and followers is that leaders make decisions and get things done and move people, just move people. That doesn't mean they do that on their own, right? You do it with the team, but you have the people that are going to get it done and move it forward and just keep moving as opposed to the people that are just kind of either staying still or just going in the same direction, but now thinking it through. And I love that you said that because that's, that's exactly right. That's what it is.
1: It's inherent in a lot of leaders to just do and just go right and implement. But I think too, it's, it's important to realize that it is about that decision-making it's standing firm and being confident in your decision. Even if you know, there's a chance you could fail. It could be wrong.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I said it to this whole hospital. I've met everybody at this point and I I make a point of spending as little time in my office as possible. And I know all the employees and I I spend time with them on the floor and I round with all the patients and in their rooms and the therapy gym, the whole thing. And I've told people that we're going to make mistakes. We can't be afraid to make mistakes because that's how we're going to learn. You know, hopefully none of those mistakes are life-threatening, but we're also shouldn't be afraid to fail. And I love the acronym for fail is first attempt in learning, right? And we only improve and move forward by learning from our mistakes and having those potential failures or having those failures. And, you know, the other, the other big characteristic I think, you know, in regards to that about being a big leader is not only not being afraid to fail, but taking the hit. Even if as the leader, that failure instinct can nothing to do with you, it's still yours because you're leading that team and you want that team to know that we're in this together. We're in for the good. We're in for the bad. We'll figure it out together. Nobody's alone. And that makes a difference, too, because that will set the stage for people not to be afraid because they know that if something doesn't work, they won't be set outside on their own, you know, and, and that's a big piece of it.
1: Yeah, uh, I think Jocko Wilnick kind of made it uh, famous. It's not his per se. It's in the army, like standard operating procedures manual, but it's basically extreme ownership, you know, and leaders just take that extreme ownership, even if it's not on them. They were the leader of that team. They take ownership of it. And then, you know, it it obviously builds a lot of trust and and goodwill towards your team because they see that you're willing to stand up for them and help move things along when it doesn't go smoothly. Yep, that one's on me guys. I'll take that one and and we'll learn from it and we'll get better. So I think that's that's super important to kind of, you know, recognize that that ownership is a piece of leadership and being okay with that, being comfortable with that.
2: Absolutely. You know? and, and you you said it too. I mean, trust is just such a huge piece of this. Like if, if the team doesn't trust you, you know, no matter how big or small your team is, if the team doesn't trust you, they're not going to want to work with you. And, you know, I really I really believe that continuity and consistency is, is a big piece of being successful. That people need to know that that you've got their back and you're walking side by side with them every step, not just when it looks good, but every step of the way. That's that's been really important for me as well.
1: Well, you kind of mentioned this a little bit here, but uh, you like to you said you don't like to spend too much time in your office if you can afford it. You know, and and get out there and really you know be there and be a part of it. Give us a little bit of a snapshot of what your day looks like. We don't need details or anything like that, but what is, what does your general day look like? What does the flow kind of look like? What things are you doing nowadays?
2: Yeah. So there are a lot of meetings. There's no question about it, but the meetings are, they're really yeah. meaningful. I mean, um, and you know, a that's one, I don't know if the meetings will ever end because, yeah. you know, it, it, it is what it is with, with patient care. But I spend a lot of time, like I said, on on the floor with the patients, my, my, goal every day is to meet all of our new patients within 24 to 48 hours and them coming into the hospital. Um, and I've been successful doing that so far and then getting down into the therapy gym a minimum of once, if not twice a day, to, you know, just say hello to patients. And really when when I talk about meeting with patients, it's literally just introducing myself and then asking them how they are and, you know, being a cheerleader for them during therapy and being available to answer questions either for them or their family. And then meetings with the, either the the department leaders or the leaders and their teens on making sure they have what they need to be successful. What's been a lot of fun, and I don't see this changing, which is good. What's been a lot of fun is addressing what I call the low hanging fruit. You know, not everything needs to be a really hard decision. If people ask for something that is Number one, it's a must-have and it just gets done. But if it's something that's not expensive or not difficult, it's like, just do it. Yeah. You know, for the most part, I feel like especially healthcare workers are very prudent and conservative with their spending. You know, everybody that works in a hospital is a healthcare worker. Um, you know, no matter what your job title is, and everybody understands it. You know, payments are based on third-party payers. You know, we don't own an ice cream shop where people come in and give us full price for the ice cream card they're getting. So people are smart when they work in healthcare and in hospitals, and so if somebody asks for something, it's probably because they really need it. So let's let's address what it is, and let's get them what we can get them easily. And so a lot of a lot of the meetings are literally just going how's things this week with this group of patients, and what do you need? Yeah. And so to be able to walk out of those meetings and either accomplish something by saying, yeah, go ahead and put in the order for it, or let me go back and look and see what our budget says. And then getting back to them a week later and saying yes, or giving them a reason why there's a no and identifying what our plan will be to be able to get that in the future is so rewarding. And so that that's a big part. I mean, that's a big part of the day than follow-up communication. When I'm in a meeting or in my office and then you know, I'm back out on the floor. A lot of times I'm able to follow up with the people on the floor, the patients and saying, you know, I I addressed what your concern was. Um, You know, if the patient has a complaint, we address it immediately. And my day is compromised of talking with people, which I absolutely love and moving rocks, big and small, and just following up with how that movement went. And it's incredibly rewarding. I mean, Uh, I've been... You know, I, I understand I'm still a little bit in the honeymoon phase, although I feel like I've been here for 10 years already, uh, which is a good thing. I don't say yeah. that in a bad way, I say it in a good way, but every day is full of, full of accomplishments. You know, some days more than others, some days more meaningful and bigger, but it's just pretty remarkable. I think being a CEO in a hospital where I have touch points with people every day is just, this is more than I could have ever hoped for in asked for. It's been pretty remarkable.
1: Well, Beth, we asked this one final question to all of our guests, and that question is: if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change, and how would you change it?
2: Yeah, another great question, Scott. And I'm going to go back to the answer I gave before and uh, say I really, I really do think that a big missing link in academics, especially in healthcare, and you know, I'll speak specifically for PT, is the the lack of focus on communication and emotional intelligence and self-awareness and just the soft skills of leadership. I think, I think it's a real missing light, to be honest with you. I think that there, there's huge opportunities for therapists to understand body language and message intent and conflict resolution and difficult conversations and the overall connecting with people. And I, I, I think it's missing. And I think that it, it can be and should be done in a way outside of medical terminology and evaluating your patients. I think that, and especially in the world of telehealth, which I'm really not involved with, because I'm not, a clinical, not in clinical care anymore, but you know, telehealth, whether it's just by the phone or with video as well, you're still losing that 3D piece, which makes that ability to connect and communicate effectively with the patients that much more meaningful. And, and, and honestly, take it even one step further. And now where we are with these future generations of school, of students coming out, growing up with a phone in their hand and all on computer, they're even losing that one-to-one face-to-face communication ability. And, you know, sometimes I get really nervous about the future of healthcare care um, in that regard. So I think that's a big missing link. I've been pretty vocal about it with other folks from academics that I know, academia. And um, I, I think that's a huge opportunity.
1: Yeah. Well put. Well put. Well, Beth, where can people reach out to you if if they have any follow-up questions or just want to see what you're up to these days?
2: I do have uh, a LinkedIn page. People can always email me. I mean, if you want, I can get my email address out right now, but um, otherwise I can email it to you and you can get it out to people. I I don't know how you do that, but yeah,
1: we'll put those links in the show notes so that it's easy for everybody to get in touch with you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I'm a phone person too, so people can always text or call, but yeah, I would I would love to hear from people. I um I find just collaboration across disciplines and across states and all sorts of stuff uh, really fun and meaningful. And healthcare, as big of an industry as we are, it's still a really small community. So I think we always have an opportunity to learn from each other.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, Beth Sarfati, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and for coming on. I uh, really appreciate you, Beth.
2: Well, thanks for the opportunity, Scott. Good to talk to you.
1: Well, I hope that episode was entertaining as much as it was informational and educational. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, we ask you to please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. And please share out the episodes to those who you feel may be able to benefit from them. We also urge you to follow us on all social media platforms at HETpodcasts. And let us know what topics or experts you would like to hear from in future episodes. And just as a reminder, none of the information on today's show should be considered medical advice. It's simply infotainment or edutainment to help educate our audience. For medical advice, we always advise you to reach out to your preferred medical professionals. And we'll see you on the next show.